Well, good morning. After I'd been up a little while this morning, I recognised that there was something a bit unusual about this morning. The sun was shining. That actually happened twice last week as well. And on one of those occasions, Marg and I remarked to each other, it's starting to feel like Easter. I don't know why it is, but when there's those beautiful, crisp mornings and the sun is shining, that, that's the epitome, contextually for me, of Easter. It's starting to feel like Easter. As Andrew has said, our passage this morning is a short passage with a few of the preludes to the main theme of Easter. I get excited about Easter as a follower of Jesus. If there's ever a time when we see what God is like, when we understand the depth of the love of God through Jesus, it's through and in the Easter events and beyond. But I think equally in terms of the major themes of Easter, in terms of impact on us, are the events surrounding Easter and the cross. Because as a follower of Jesus, they show to us, they certainly speak to me deeply about who Jesus is. Because in his life, and particularly in these really potentially very traumatic last days, Jesus shows who he really is. And he shows it in lots of ways, including his relationship with his disciples. Chapter 13 of John actually introduces potentially the deepest teaching of Jesus and particularly as you go into chapters 14 through to 17, it's the time when Jesus was speaking to his disciples in that upper room just before he was betrayed and killed, rose again, ascended. It's as if everything that he had lived in those three years before that was really important he wanted to share and to reinforce to his disciples. So that's the picture that we have in verses 31 to the end of the chapter 13. I want to just put those words up so that you can see the key themes and then I'm just going to choose out briefly three of the key themes in this short chapter. So the context of this is that Judas has just left the room. He's just left the room to betray Jesus. Jesus was also aware and we're reminded at the end of this passage that Peter was about to deny that he even knew Jesus. So not only was there the heaviness of uh, 
sorrow and uh, you remember in Jesus sweat like drops of blood. That's how he knew there was something very traumatic about to happen to him. But in the midst of all that, we find him saying in verse 31, the time has come for the glory of God to surround the Son of Man and God will be greatly glorified through what happens to me. And very soon God will unveil the glory of the Son of Man. What on earth is that about? Where did that come from? What does it mean? I've actually put the Passion Translation there because just about every other translation I read, I didn't understand what it meant. It's, it's quite complicated. There's dynamics between Jesus and the Father there that, and talking about glory. Where, where does that come from? My understanding is that Jesus was putting what had just happened and he was putting what was about to happen into a wider and a deeper perspective that gave it a completely different perspective and even feel. And I think that's one of the things that Jesus calls us to on a regular basis. He's saying, I know Judas has just left. I know terrible things about to happen that are very unjust, etc. They're going to feel awful to you and I'm going to be killed. But actually the big picture is God is going to be exalted. The big picture is going to be good. The big picture comes out positive, not negative. There will be a death, but then there will be a resurrection. And following the resurrection, there will be an ascension. And following the ascension, the Holy Spirit will come. So it's actually paving the way in what seems like terrible circumstances for the glory of God or the nature of God in love and power and grace to be revealed to this, this world. I think that's a deep, deep, almost everyday perspective that we need to note. So often we get enmeshed in the immediate. So often we self-talk in such a negative way when bad things happen to us and or other people. So often we get into a kind of a um, negative funk that is surrounding us as the centre of life. And if we could just put it into a wider and a deeper perspective, it would be a different picture. I ha happened to have fallen into one of those funks earlier this week, or last week. I woke up on Monday morning. Marg said that my phone had dinged overnight. I went and had a look at what the ding meant and it said to me, your COVID test is positive. I was getting ready to go to Sydney to lead a pastor's conference and I went into a funk. What do you do? Oh, no, not today. 
of all of the days that I find out I've got, incidentally, I'm okay, as of an hour ago, I'm free. So you're, <laughs> you're okay? Because I got tested. I got tested at nine o'clock on Sunday morning and they say I'm free after seven days, nine o'clock. So relax, it's okay. But then I, I recognised, hang on, um, don't let the immediate circumstances actually dictate to you how you think and feel about the big picture of what's happening and through some brilliant technology and uh, people who did some great things. I actually zoomed in to that conference and uh, um, it, it seemed, it's not as good as face-to-face, -face, but it seemed to go okay. I think Jesus is giving us a wonderful example of getting the main thing the main thing and recalibrating maybe several times a day, what really is important. Putting it into the big picture of God's love and grace and he's working everything together for good. And I find now that I, I, I'm at my um, most committed in terms of discipleship when I'm able to reframe several times a day what's happening to put it into the really important perspectives so that it doesn't revolve around me or around temporal events, but about what God is doing. I, I love it, in, um, and this is in a context that's quite um, different, but um, Jesus on one occasion in his teaching to his disciples, and he was actually teaching about what was going to happen to Jerusalem in, in a few years' time, a diabolical event, but he said to the people, when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your head because your redemption is drawing near. When we start to get into one of these negative self-talk funks, as I've described them, just take a step aside, a step back, a step, a step into the relationship with God through Jesus and lift up our heads. Lift up our heads because of the love and grace of God and his power and goodness uh, in this world. And then Paul follows this through in uh, 2 Corinthians. Uh, and you remember the Corinthians were in a funk. Um, they were in big trouble. They gave Paul more problems than all of the other churches he ever had contact with together. And yet... In his writing in 2 Corinthians, he says this to them. Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives to live openly and expansively. What an incredible challenge, encouragement, opportunity. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. Ask ourselves regularly, has my world become too small? And live life openly, positively, optimistically and expansively. 
And then Jesus goes into what probably is the best summary of the next three chapters that he could ever have given. The major theme that he wanted to communicate with his disciples was love one another the way I have loved you. Now, there's a hundred sermons in that. So I'll have to unpack it very, very briefly. A new commandment? New in the sense that the Old Testament was about principles, commandments that people could accept with their head and be committed to with their heart. And that is expressed, as you would be very aware, in Matthew 22, 37 to 40, where Jesus reinforces what was uh, a summary of the old commandment. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And now he's saying to his disciples, I'm not cancelling out that. Those old commandments were valid and they're the most important principles for living well. But I'm carrying it forward to a different way to actually be able to live it. And the way to be able to live it is follow my example. Follow the way I have loved you in your relationship with one another because this is the essence of both effective discipleship and mission. So the world will know that you are my disciples. And Jesus is saying the way I've related to you at that time 11 disciples, that actually is the essence of who I am and therefore what I'm seeking to communicate. It's about love. He's saying to his disciples, I, I value you. I've lived with you. You can see how we've shared everything together, including some incredibly traumatic events. And I love some of the small things, in inverted commas, that happen around this time of preparation for Easter. For instance, you'll realise that um, just in, in a, a little while, something's going to happen that shows the disciples in the ongoing practical events of life how much Jesus is for them. You remember that they went out from the upper room, they went to the garden and that's when a mob came with weapons and, and whatever and uh, it was a uh, uh, horrific scene there. Do you realise when Jesus recognised what was happening or he, he knew what was going to happen but once it had actually come to the point, he said to the people who had come for him, let these people go. If it's me you're after, here I am, let these people go. Can you imagine that? He's about to be arrested and treated very badly and the thing that's most uppermost in his mind is keeping his disciples safe. 
let these disciples. That is such a beautiful encapsulation of the nature of Jesus' relationship with his disciples. And Jesus is saying this is the most powerful force in the world. Love. Love that comes from God is expressed most deeply in the cross and the resurrection. And then through the spirit of God in us can be lived out. And I would love to encourage myself and you to actually believe that this love of God is the most powerful force in the world for good. But it's more caught than it is taught. That doesn't mean teaching is not important. But Jesus is saying you will know more about this love by your relationship with me as well as my words, but the way I have related to you will show the depth of this love. I think our society overvalues some things like apparent success or material wealth or power or reputation, but it drastically undervalues love and the power of love to change life, to be redemptive, to give the person who has had even the most traumatic background the opportunity to start again with somebody who will never, ever leave them, somebody who will bring unconditional, positive regard into their relationship through God and then themselves and then that regard out to the neighbour. I've, I've sometimes thought in my mind, wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be great if there was a positive COVID? Wouldn't it be great if there was a positive virus? I don't know whether I'm about to butcher the medical language in changing the way I'm using the word virus, but can you consider a positive virus that the closer you get to somebody, the more likely you are to catch it, and that if you catch it, it'll take um, big toll potentially in your life to the point where our whole society has, for a season, reorganised itself around the impact of this negative COVID. God is saying to us today there's a positive virus that the closer we follow Jesus and the more the spirit of God works within our lives, the more we will be able to love God, to love ourselves and to love each other and that this will change the world. It has the capacity deeper and more powerfully than any other factor in the world. I, I, I sometimes worry deeply that we value some things that are okay in themselves, but we devalue caring in our society. And you know that. That's in our headlines at the moment. Uh, and the people who tend to be the carers in our society um, are least in terms of pay structures often, and we don't have the high value of caring for um, mothers and fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers and carers 
and people who actually, through the love that they have in their lives, and I believe this comes from God, this love, through the love they're pouring themselves day and night into other people's lives in ways that are more powerful potentially than anything else in the world. And Jesus is saying to us as disciples, love one another as I have loved you. There's a virus that if it spread, it would be incredibly powerful. And the third section, and I hurry to say that it's the last section that I'm dealing with very briefly, but it's an incredibly important part. And we just get a heads up towards the end of the passage. And uh, I'll just read verses 37 and 38 to you. Peter said, What do you mean I'm not able to follow you now? I would sacrifice my life to die for you. Jesus answered, Would you really lay down your life for me, Peter? Here's the absolute truth. Before the rooster crows in the morning, you will say three times that you don't even know me. This is love in action. This is one of those mini encapsulations of how deeply Jesus loved his disciples and loves us. There's a part of this is speaking the truth in love because you recognise that Jesus in one way pulled Peter up short. I love the fact that Peter was brave because he really was. The other disciples were hidden away. He was at least where Jesus was. Um, I love the fact that he was a bit brash in that he said, I'll die for you because that showed to some extent where his heart was but he couldn't, he couldn't put his hands where his heart was or where he believed his heart was. And Peter had this incredible journey with Jesus not only three years before this but potentially for the next 20 years until we believe he was crucified hanging upside down for this passion he developed for Jesus who loved him so deeply. And you'll see as we go forward in the next uh, few weeks, you will see an amazing set of circumstances, very pertinent set of circumstances to every one of us unfold where Peter follows Jesus and he denies that um, uh, he even knows Jesus. And then, and I'm going to skip this particular slide, but uh, you may remember that there's a time when um, uh, Jesus is led from one hall to another just at the time when Peter denies that he even knows him. And Luke says that Jesus looked at Peter and he went out and cried and cried and cried. What was that look? I have no chapter and verse to back up what I'm about to say, but I believe it more passionately than almost anything else I've said. 
That look of Jesus was not a look of disgust. It was not a look of anger. There was disappointment in that look, but it was the disappointment of somebody who loved Peter so deeply that that look, that kind look, that forgiving look that was backed up later on the shore of the Sea of Galilee where uh, Jesus specially um, sought out Peter and asked him, do you love me? And then he recommissioned him, feed my sheep. This was a look that you and I need to see in the eyes of Jesus every, every day. It's not the look of a judgmental God who's out to get us in some way. It's the look of a God who loves us so deeply and who agonises with us when we fall short and then makes steps through the death and resurrection and through his spirit in us to come alongside us to allow us to double back, to repent, to make restitution, to start again and to grow deeper and deeper. This is the love of God. I just trust and pray that when you ever picture Jesus, you would picture him looking at you even in our deepest, darkest funk, even when we've catastrophized and not put life into the bigger picture, even when we find it difficult to know what love really is, in the midst of the mess of life, if we could see Jesus look at us with a look of love that says, I'm for you, I'm on your side, let's go together. Can we pray together? Father, thank you. Thank you so much for that deep love of Jesus that we remember particularly as we come to the deepest and most profound expression of your love for us at the cross and then your power to overcome the cross in the resurrection. As we come to those times that are deeply, deeply meaningful for us as followers of Jesus. May we be able on a regular basis to keep the main thing, the main thing, which is your love and your grace to change every moment of every day with your smile upon our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.